Welcome to a Seat at the Table podcast. This show is for all professionals who want to learn the unwritten rules of corporate advancement, develop better business relationships, improve their effectiveness, and accelerate their careers. Join us for each episode to hear from successful executives and dynamic leaders to learn the unfair advantages of career success. I'm your host, Ron Skillens, and I'm glad you're here. Now get ready to get your seat at the table. Welcome to the first episode of a Seat at the Table podcast show. My name is Ron Skillens, and I'm proud to be your host. And I'm excited about starting this new journey of discussing career and career success. And I'll share a lot of my 25 years of experience and the highs and lows and the good, bad, and ugly of all of that, as well as have really powerful guests uh, later on uh, as we move into the podcast uh, from all different industries, from public accounting to CFOs to CEOs to other uh, influencers, entrepreneurs, and to share their experiences and what, what it was that got them to where they are today, but most importantly, what struggles did they, did they deal with to overcome that we all have to deal with when we're striving for something higher and something greater. So um, that's, that's the, the, the foundation for this podcast. It's not as much of a technical podcast in terms of talking about you know, what do you specifically in your industry uh, need to learn technically? Because frankly, you already know that you, you studied that in whatever, whatever um, endeavor that your industry that you're in, you get training from your own company about that. But so this, this is a focus on the things that you aren't taught, the things that, that you have to learn many times through hard knocks and life experience, the politics, the unwritten rules, the seemingly unfair advantages that people have that advance quicker than than what than most of everyone else right and why is that why does that occur what are some of the mistakes that hard work hard workers and high performers make that derail them uh, in their journey to career success and so we're going to delve into those topics that are more intangible but are just as real and as many of you know are just as important to master and to practice uh, than the technical aspect as the technical aspects as well. So that's the foundation for this podcast, and I'm excited about embarking upon this journey. But so what I would thought what I thought I would do on this first episode was just to share with you a little bit about my backstory, and uh, so you can get to know me as as we move along. I um, was an accounting major in college. I went to the University of North Texas, which is just north of Dallas, Texas, where I live. I um, chose accounting mainly because I had I, I loved numbers. I loved math. I was good at math in in, in high school. Uh, I got a lot of counseling in those days from uh, counselors and family members that since I loved math, that accounting and finance was a very stable career and profession. Um, you know, in, in when, I, when I say those days, uh, you know, it was in the early, uh, early nineties, late eighties, early nineties is when I went, was in school. I, I, um, I was a freshman, uh, in college in 1988. So a few years back, um, and so went into that, loved it. I always was a good student. It wasn't much of a 
didn't have much of a social life, was very shy and introverted, very painfully so. I mean, so so shy, in fact, that it was hard for me to even to look into people's eyes when I was uh, speaking with them. And I was a skinny kid. I wasn't involved in sports and was very much of the stereotypical introvert. And some of that was driven by the fact that my parents were divorced when I was 13, 14 years old. And so I was kind of coping with that. And as any adolescent trying to find his way as uh, from a boy to a man. And, and so, you know, that, that all compounded into that. But one thing I did know was hard work was a way of, of pushing through and getting success. And I was rewarded for that hard work. And so since I was rewarded for it in the form of studying and good grades, I did more of it. And I did less of what other teenagers tend to do, which is party and have a good time and girlfriends and all that. In fact, I didn't have my first girlfriend uh, until I was a sophomore uh, in college. So, um, you know, so I was a late bloomer. I I think that's fair to say. Um, But I don't feel like I missed out on too much. Um, Actually, I probably got uh, stayed out of some trouble that I would have otherwise gotten into. Um, and so that was kind of my mental mind frame mindset as I was learning accounting, learning the academic aspect of accounting. And then as I moved through my college career, I made uh, made one transformation, uh, several transformations, actually. But the one big one was um, how do I getting out of my intro, in, introverted shell? And this was really driven by my great grades in school. I was a 4.0 student, dean's list and all of that. And so as an African-American in a predominantly uh, white school, um, I got attention. And um, one of the things that folks wanted me to do was to run for homecoming king. And why would I want to do that, right? It's a popularity contest. I had my small group of friends that I hung out with and did things with, but I wasn't interested in running for homecoming king, but they convinced me to run Um, mainly because I was a good example of, from an academic standpoint, it's really more of a popularity contest. I had all of the minority organizations on campus to vote for me, uh, the the Greek organizations, the professional associations. And then, of course, I had all my accounting geeks to to vote for me as well. And uh, I won, surprisingly. I beat the um, traditional winners, which are the, uh, the Interfraternity Council, which were the Greek um, fraternities and sororities that tend to win homecoming king and queen. And, and I won and I, I, I was so proud in at homecoming game to wear that Elvis cape with the sequins type uh, sequins on it with a green eagle on the back of it because the, the, our, our logo was the mean green eagles of the University of North Texas. So I had a green eagle and then I had a big Burger King like hat uh, on as well. And I was so proud to wear it with my little, uh, horn rim, horn rim glasses. And, and, uh, you know, and so that opened up, that started to open me up from a personality standpoint. And then eventually, um, I got the bug for, for running for office. And, and before I graduated, ran for student body president and won that as well. And so, um, it's just funny how things that you don't intend to do, how that, how that has a dramatic effect uh, when you pursue them. And uh, that was certainly the case. And so after I graduated, 
I work for Arthur Anderson, uh, <clears throat> and um, for some of you younger folks out there who aren't familiar who that is, they don't exist anymore, by the way. They went out of business because of scandal and fraud that happened uh, in the early 2000s with a company named Enron. And But at the time, they were the big eight, uh, one of the big eight public accounting firms, international global firm, uh, and, and was one of the top firms uh, that was highly sought after by graduates uh, during that period of time. And so I had interned with them for all five of the summers that, um, that I was uh, in school. I had, by the way, gotten a master's degree in accounting um, and, um, and interned with them through an, a minority internship program called Inroads. Some of you may be familiar with that. Uh, Inroads did a lot of great things for me in terms of teaching me uh, professional etiquette, how to uh, behave in the corporate setting, because I just didn't have anyone around me in my family that had experienced that. My family uh, was a was great family, loving family, but was not college graduates. I was the first generation in my immediate family to graduate from college. My dad went to college for a bit, uh, was I think through his sophomore year, and then he, he quit and started his own business and continued that. My mom never went, um, and then I have five brothers and two sisters, and one of my brothers went, but none of them uh, ever uh, ever finished. So I was the first to graduate from college. My family was very proud of that, and um, and so, you know, I started my career in accounting, and I started in a very traditional sense, right? I started with one of the biggest firms, uh, and I did auditing. And for those of you that don't know, auditing is is what it just like what it sounds like. So we went we went to uh, large companies for the most part and audited their books, uh, made sure that everything their financial records were in order, and that uh, that their numbers that they were reporting to the public were accurate. Um, and we did a number of different things to ensure that they were accurate. And so uh, the uh, the career track for auditors in public accounting was that you started out as a staff person and between 10 and 12 years down the road, you would potentially be considered to be a partner in the firm, which would mean you'd be an owner and uh, you'd make the big bucks and literally make the big bucks. I mean, at that time, Anderson Partners were one of the most um, wealthy partners in the industry and uh, they had homes in Costa Rica. Some of them had private jets. Some of them were making a couple of million dollars a year. And so, you know, it was a big carrot to, to pursue. Uh, it was also a lot of work and a lot of um, hours to put in. Um, and I wasn't afraid of work. I never was. I uh, learned a lot of that from my mom who, um, who raised me and gave me a lot of uh, hardworking and Christian values. And so that was my goal. My first career goal is to be a partner in public accounting and specifically in Arthur Anderson, right? So I, uh, you know, spent my first four years there. Um, and then lo and behold, I realized that auditing wasn't really all that fun or exciting to do. And so, you know, about four or five years in, I decided I wanted to learn business a little bit more. And so I went on to uh, Frito-Lay, which is a part of PepsiCo. And, um, you know, and uh, it was actually one of my better career moves. Uh, I started in finance in various roles in finance and worked my way through the organization. Um, was doing uh, field sales finance, sales accounting. Um, I was on the one of the uh, implementation teams to implement 
uh, financial module within the uh, financial system. So I did a lot of different things. I was supported. It was a very progressive environment. I learned a lot. Um, but I also got the bug to, to leave there. And after, um, you know, about three, four years there, I left and, and I came back to Anderson in the um, early 2000s, 2000, 2001. And that was, in hindsight, a mistake because that was when the whole Enron scandal happened. And so the reason why I went back to Anderson, by the way, was they convinced me that during that time, the dot-com rage in the late 90s was blowing up and e-commerce was a new thing and it was you know and consulting was very exciting and appealing to a young 20 something year old professional at that time i didn't want to do auditing anymore um that's why i left but but going back to consulting really appealed to me because i got to actually be a business advisor or so i thought and um so i was there from 2000 to 2001 uh, then the Enron scandal hit, and I'll I'll touch on this a little bit later in uh, the show and future episodes. But I'll just say for now, it was a very seminal moment in my career because I saw that dream I had when I started to be a partner. I saw many of those partners lose everything, literally lose all of their retirement savings and and everything else because. Um, the the firm basically was the auditor of Enron. Enron executives were uh, fraudulently uh, cooking the books, and um, and it was for hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was, um, you know, it's it's still unclear in terms of what Anderson's role was, but we did not catch it, uh, and certainly did not report it. And that's the purpose of a public accountant is to report that uh, in terms of financial um, financial fraud. And during the investigation, Anderson uh, shredded documents, and <laughs> that's a no-no in any case. Uh, and so that led to a, a death spiral with the Department of Justice, which led to an indictment of the firm as a whole, which led to us losing all of our clients, which led to us going out of business in 2001. Um, and so, therefore, I was transitioned, uh, and I transitioned from there and was looking for a place to land and uh, was our practice was bought by Hitachi Consulting, which was an IT integration firm. And they wanted to teach me how to install enterprise uh, financial systems. And that's, you know, that's not really my thing. I'm an accountant. I'm a consultant. I'm not a IT person. And so I stayed there for about six months, took a job with a client of mine, at, a former client of mine at Anderson called Safety Clean, and uh, joined them in 2003. They were going through bankruptcy at the time. And I knew that, and they were in Columbia, South Carolina, moved, relocating to Dallas. And so my job was, as a finance director, was to uh, form a, build a new team, determine which, which of the team members in South Carolina were going to make the move to Dallas. Those that didn't got a compensation package, but they had to help me train their replacements, which just on the surface and thinking about it is a bad idea because they had no incentive to do a good job. They were just there so they can get their money, right? And a bad environment, very toxic environment at the time, a lot of turnover. Um, and it was probably one of the worst decisions I made at career-wise because I took that job mainly because I wanted to leave Hitachi and um, they were paying me a very significant salary. They offered me a very significant salary. And, I'm, and I took the job mainly just because of the money. And we'll, again, talk about this later as well from a career decision standpoint, but Money is never should never be the only reason why you take a position. 
And that was, in my case, the reason why I took that job. Um, I later, um, as because of the uh, transition that occurred out of bankruptcy, was laid off and uh, went back to public accounting, but to a different firm, Grant Thornton. Grant Thornton uh, is a... um, Another large international firm, um, a number five, I believe, in terms of size uh, currently. And um, a lot of my former Anderson colleagues were there. I I started out, I continued in consulting and enjoyed that work. I mean, there was a lot of work um, at that time. SOX work was what it was called, Sarbanes-Oxley, which was a regulation or is a regulation for public companies to prevent them from doing what Enron did um, during the Anderson scandal, uh, to ensure that there were internal controls over financial reporting. And so we as consultants were ensuring that those controls were in place and we tested those controls and all of that. And we made tons of money doing it, right? And it's so ironic that the thing that that caused one of the large firms to uh, go away was the same thing, a regulation was the same thing that caused many of the other firms to prosper, right? That's just how the government works. So I was at Grant Thornton in 2004 initially and uh, stayed there. I was a a senior manager there, uh, led a team, led some very large engagements across the country, uh, eventually was uh, in the partner candidate program and promoted to partner in 2007. And I will say that was one of the most proud moments of my career because, as I mentioned, and I started my career, that was my number one goal to be a partner, to be making the big bucks to, you know, to go to lunch and take clients to lunch and, and to go to go play golf and, and do all the hobnobbing that I thought that that's what partners did all day. And uh, boy, was I wrong, right? You just, yes, you are an owner. Yes, you can make significant income, but there is a tremendous amount of responsibility being a partner because part of ownership is owning everything. It's owning your benefits and had to pay for benefits, had to uh, have capital calls when the firm needed capital from the partners, um, had huge sales goals and, and had, to, had to sell certain number of millions of dollars of professional services to build my practice. And I was doing, I was doing that. I, and I was, uh, you know, making it happen. And, um, you know, and then lo and behold, 2008 rolled around and we all know what happened then, the Great Recession. And uh, it was not a good time to be a consultant in 2008, 2009. Uh, Not too many companies were doing well and very few were buying consulting services, even if it was for process improvement. So uh, my practice, uh, unfortunately, um, had to was was shrinking and I had to let some people go and um, I had to transition out myself. Um, because I didn't have enough business to maintain uh, a practice. And that was such a, oh man, such a, um, a blow, ego-wise, emotionally, um, to, to leave a coveted position that I'd always strive to be as an accountant. But one of the things I've learned in my career journey, which we will also talk about further, is that when one door closes, another one opens. And so that was certainly the case. And it, and it caused me to to reevaluate what it is that I really wanted to do, what impact did I want to have on the world and in my career. And, um, and so I'm, I uh, leveraged my network to get on as the chief compliance officer and the head of internal audit at Children's Medical Center in, here in Dallas. And uh, this, again, the power of networks, guys. And um, 
you know, I'll talk about that as well. That's one of the one of the secrets. Um, that was my first role as a chief compliance officer. I had done compliance in different forms prior to that, but not as a chief compliance officer in industry. And of course, in healthcare is being highly regulated, a lot of risk associated with um, healthcare compliance. And so I had a team that 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 um, did compliance, did internal audit, um, and we developed an enterprise risk management program that that I reported to the CEO and to the board. And uh, this was my first indoctrination. <clears throat> well, actually, I can't take that back. Second indoctrination to executive leadership and the aspects of effectiveness that have nothing to do with your hard work or technical ability. So I know I'm reluctant to use the word politics, but yes, politics, relationships, um, the other aspects of the unwritten rules that we're going to talk about in this podcast, I got introduced to both at Grant Thornton and at Children's. And frankly, I was unprepared fully for that challenge. Um, I had gotten where I had I'd gotten where I was on hard work, grit, determination, um, being able to get projects done well, being able to accomplish tasks. But those were foundational elements for what it takes to be effective executive. And effective executives need more than the hard work and grit and determination. There's a lot more involved in terms of the collaborative aspect of relationships and getting things done through others the use of influence and all the rest that we'll get into. So um, I was at uh, Children's for uh, a little over four years and, um, you know, and they made, decided to make a change. And uh, that change in their case was they outsourced the internal audit function to, um, to one of the large accounting firms, I believe it was Deloitte, and then uh, they eliminated my role. Uh, and so, again, I was in transition. And... Um, and, you know, and that one wasn't as much of a blow as Grant Thornton because I kind of saw it coming, uh, be honest. And, um, you know, and, you know, I learned a lot from that experience and I'm grateful for what children's, uh, the organization taught me. And I had some great team members and friends that I still have today, many of which I still communicate with today. Uh, but where I went from there was, you guessed it, back to public accounting. Um, you know, that was something that, was just a foundational competency that I had. So in this case, in, in this instance, I went to PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is the largest public accounting firm uh, and continues to be today, uh, as a director of um, healthcare compliance in their national um, healthcare compliance practice. And so I got to travel around the country, uh, had great clients around the country, very large clients, um, and I did uh, mostly in the hospital space, hospital system space, and I did compliance program effectiveness reviews. I did uh, various aspects of compliance co-sourcing and various projects uh, and got to see what right looks like in terms of compliance. I also got to see and understand from an executive point of view um, how to get things done through collaboration, how to to leverage relationships and, and do those kinds of things. And so it really was a great opportunity for me to take the failures, frankly, that I had at Children's and Grant Thornton and put them into work and practice uh, for the clients and for the firm. And um, But in true transparency, I, I knew that the Price Waterhouse Coopers PwC was not a long-term career move for me. And so 
uh, I wanted to be back in the industry. Uh, I have a I have a uh, young son. I wanted to spend time with him. And traveling like that, even though I enjoyed the work, was just not conducive to family life. And so I then took a uh, job here where I am now at, at JPS Health Network, which is the Tarrant County Hospital District, which is the public hospital system for uh, Tarrant County, which is Fort Worth. Fort Worth is the main city in Tarrant County. And then all of the, um, the cities um, in, uh, you know, in the county. Of course, Fort Worth is a part of the DFW Metroplex. And my responsibility is as the Senior Vice President of Enterprise Risk Management and the Chief Compliance Officer, which includes three departments, Internal Audit, Compliance, and ERM and uh, developed again a new ERM program based upon our strategy. I report to the CEO and to the board. Um, of course, being a public uh, hospital system, uh, we have county commissioners that appoint our board members, and so uh, we're a public entity, so we're, we're held accountable to the public. Um, citizens of Tarrant County can come to our board meetings, and, um, and uh, you know, and we get taxpayer dollars through property taxes to support 40% of our mission to serve the underserved and the underprivileged uh, in our county in terms of health care and population health. And so I, had a gr- I have a great mission and a great sense of community at JPS because it serves um, the underserved. And so that, there's an intangible benefit of working in an organization like that, but also um, just the culture and the environment of the leadership. Uh, we have what's known as the three rules, and those rules are own it, being, being accountable for what you do, seek joy, find pleasure in whatever it is that you do and spend time in it at work, and then the most popular, don't be a jerk, you know, which is, you know, why, why it'd be difficult, why be a, um, you know, a difficult person to work with when you don't need to be. And if and if you're if you want to be that kind of person, then this isn't the place for you. And so, you know, it's a great culture. And these are three rules or the rules of the road, as we call them, that we live by and um, and that um, that is embedded in the culture. So uh, and I'm still there today as a working executive. So uh, that's a brief summary of my career and backstory. I mean, I had a lot of highs and lows in, in this first episode. I'm not going to give you all of that because I want to save something to talk about for future episodes. But one of the things that I will leave you with is that, um, is that one of the, the lessons that I had to learn was humility. And humility is not a weakness, it's a strength. Humility is not meaning that you are feel like you're less than someone else. It means that it, it does mean that you don't think you're better than someone else and that you always can improve, that you, that you enjoy the journey along the way, that you uh, are grateful for the opportunities that you have, uh, but you always find ways to continually improve while still being grateful along the way and, um, and, and being humble. And so that was probably the overarching theme uh, and biggest lesson in, uh, in my career journey but certainly over that 25-year span and counting, I've gotten, um, I've learned more, obviously, from my failures than my successes. I've had, I've had both. And so in this podcast, we're going to talk about the highs and the lows and everything in between. And so I'm going to leave you with that. And I hope you join us on the next, on the next episode as we continue this journey 
to get your seat at the table.